Hello and welcome to my Existentialism Final, a podcast analyzing existentialist themes in Bloodborne. My name is Nathaniel Scott, and for this podcast I am going to be looking at how Bloodborne, the video game developed by Hidetaka Miyazaki and his team at From Software, explores existentialist themes. I will be looking at the game on both a structural and a narrative level in order to barely scratch the surface of some of the ways in which it shows an existentialist motif and leitmotifs in its gameplay. In order to do that, I will first start with some design aspects, including the insight mechanic, narrative flexibility, and a linear progression models, before proceeding to narrative elements of existentialism in the gameplay, including the player's disconnection from the herd, their thrownness into Yarnum, and the choice of truth which they are faced with at the end of the game. Now, before we do any of this, you clearly need some context for what Bloodborne is and why it's so special. So let's start with a brief summary of the game itself. In Bloodborne, the player character, known only as the Hunter, is a afflicted patient who has come to Yarnum, a center of blood healing, to be healed. The game begins with their blood transfusion and progresses from there to the player being drafted into the Hunter Corps and sent out into Yarnum to curb a nightly scourge of beasts that swarms across the city. The city is afflicted by this plague which turns its citizens into monstrosities, the causes of which are not fully understood. And while you as a hunter are mostly a glorified exterminator seeking to curtail the effects of the scourge, you are also something of an investigator seeking to understand where the scourge comes from and how it might be stopped. The answers you come to have to be entirely your own and will depend on how you play the game. It is a vicious game full of cosmic horror, Lovecraftian horror, blood, as the title would suggest, and lots of gratuitous violence, all set in a Victorian England-esque tight urban sprawl. Insight. One of the most uniquely existential mechanics of Bloodborne, not on a simple structural level, but as a gameplay feature, is the insight mechanic. The game says of it that, quote, insight increases as your character gains knowledge beyond the kin of men. The insight stat represents the depth of inhuman knowledge. As the hunter gains more and more insight from their hunting, their experience of reality changes. Given enough, they can dimly perceive the presence of great ones in Yarnum, seeing the silhouette of the horrifying lesser amygdala in Cathedral Ward, and hearing the cries of newborn Virgo from everywhere in the map. The more insight the hunter has, the more their understanding of reality becomes divorced from those around them. This does not mean that the hunter's reality is a lie, but merely that the reality of Yarnum transforms depending on insight level tying in with Nietzsche's perspectivist understanding of truth. Nietzsche concluded in On Truths and Lies in an Extramoral Sense that, quote, What then is truth? It is a mobile army of metaphors, metonyms, and anthropomorphisms. 
in short, a sum of human relations. Truths are illusions, which we have forgotten are illusions. To Nietzsche, any collective objective understanding of truth was illusory compared with the individual's experience of their own existence. In kind, the insight mechanic estranges the hunter from collective understandings of truth as represented in the hordes of Yarnamites, revealing to them a reality which they must construct their own interpretation of, and by extension, their own truth. The insight mechanic also connects to Kierkegaard's concept of angest, or as he explained it, the dizziness of freedom's possibility. By perceiving the universe in different dimensions than those around them, represented in their perception of the Great Ones and other small features implemented by high insight levels in-game, the hunter confronts the terror of existence's possibilities, a process Kierkegaard believed was vital to self-actualization. In Anxiety as a Saving Experience Through Faith, he wrote that he who is educated by angest is educated by possibility, and only he who is educated by possibility mm -hmm. is educated according to his infinitude. The insight mechanic thus frames the universe of Bloodborne in terms of Nietzschean perspectivism, while also introducing the theme of self-transcendence into the hunter's personal narrative, which will be touched on further. On a structural level, Bloodborne integrates existentialist themes into its gameplay through levels designed for a linear progression. A little context is helpful for understanding the significance of this. In most video games, the player character starts a level with some kind of cutscene or dialogue, which will feed the player their mission for that particular segment of the game, then end with a similar transitioning cutscene or dialogue. The actual gameplay of the level entails a progression from one end of a map to another, and the player will have little control over which level they proceed to after finishing one. If a map of progression were to be made, it would take the form of a straight flowchart. Now look at Bloodborne. The hunter's objectives at any given time are not defined by the game itself. Non-player characters may extend possible missions, but it is the hunter's free choice to follow these or not. Minimal context is given to the hunter at the start of the game, and any narrative that gradually emerges from their progression is one of their own construction. The entire map of Bloodborne is intricately interconnected, and the hunter is able to explore it as they so choose. In order to successfully navigate the game, the player must live in Sartrean authenticity. Perhaps he explains an existentialism as a humanism. Man makes himself. He does not come into the world fully made. He makes himself by choosing. The hunter, therefore, must accept their autonomy and progress through the levels despite the lack of context given for them. Just as Kierkegaard said, so to speak, Bloodborne can only be understood backward, but it must be lived forward. Another feature of this is the lack of an in-game mini-map for the player's orientation, a rather uncommon feature. Rather, the player must create their own intimate understanding of the environment around them and interact with it in the way they see fit. Bloodborne isn't interested in making a straightforward or easy experience for the player. Rather, the player must take on the mantle of responsibility for their existence in Yarnum and progression through it, eschewing existentialist anguish at every turn if they are to make it to the end of the game. Narrative flexibility. Another th meta theme of existential bent in Bloodborne's design is its variable narrative structure. Most video games, as previously mentioned, have scripted cutscenes, cinematics, and dialogues which orient the player. These also generally contain the game's major plot beats. 
While Bloodborne does use the occasional cutscene for narrative purposes, these are few and far between, often being easily missed, as they are generally contingent on the hunter taking a certain action. In a rather unorthodox design choice, Bloodborne hides most of its lore and narrative in item descriptions and world details, creating a sort of jigsaw puzzle style mm -hmm. of storytelling. In order to construct the narrative of the game, the player must find and analyze the clues hidden in their environment, which are, more commonly than not, subject to individual interpretation. The result of this is a reinforcing of perspectivist truth in Bloodborne, as each player's experience will differ with the story of the game depending on their personal interpretation of it, as based on the evidence they have accrued. This does not make one perspective on Bloodborne correct over others. Rather, it permits a mosaic of understandings and truths, so to speak, within the hunter's lived experience of Yarnum. Nietzsche would approve of this design, considering it a more honest approach to storytelling than is used in traditional video game narratives. Indeed, Bloodborne's narrative structure is an example of what he referred to in On the Uses and Disadvantages of History for Life as plastic power, which he defined as the capacity to develop out of ourselves in our own ways, to reconfigure and incorporate into ourselves what is past and what is strange, to heal wounds, to replace what is lost, to recreate broken forms. In short, to give narrative form to chaos. Quite simply, Yarnum exists only as the player understands it to. The Hunter and the Gaze of Yarnum In terms of the narrative itself, the player is not actually a native Yarnumite. Rather, after selecting a background of choice in the character creation menu, the player undergoes a blood transfusion in an attempt to cure an unspecified affliction that previously they suffered from and in the process is pulled into a strange experience called the Hunter's Dream, a microcosm of ambiguous reality where they are drafted into the hunt without any explanation as to what the hunt entails or why they must join it. The player's ontological independence is obviated. They are now the hunter before they are anything else. In Heideggerian terms, the hunter as docile indelibly finds himself in thrownness, having been thrown into the world. The player character had no intention of being the hunter, but is now shackled into the position and its contingent panopticon of enforcement that is Yarnum, literally bound to the hunter's dream against their will. Thus the hunt is not only one for the eldritch truth of Yarnum, but for the reclamation of the hunter's ontological freedom. Just as Fanon wrote his lament in Black Skin White Masks that, all I wanted was to be a man, nothing but a man, so the hunter seeks to escape from the constraints of the hunt. The very premise of Bloodborne's events thus frames the game in terms of an ontological question of freedom and authenticity in personal existence, not only as a hunt for subjective truth, but as a breaking free from thingification by Yarnum and its denizens. Disconnection from the Herd as a hunter, the player is disconnected from the population of Yarnum, who, infected by bloodlust, seek to hunt and destroy all that they perceive as other. The hunter retains their sanity, unlike the hordes of Yarnumites, and is thus estranged from the herd and herd morality. These Yarnumites are examples of what Nietzsche's avatar Zarathustra, from the book Thus Spake Zarathustra, called Last Men, saying, 
the last man who makes everything small. No herdsman and one herd. Everyone wants the same thing. Everyone is the same. Whoever feels otherwise goes into the madhouse voluntarily. Though the hunter is within their sense, they are other to the Yarnamites, and so are viciously hunted and attacked as the Yarnamites, seeing that the hunter will not align himself with their own collective herd understanding of actions and truths, attempt to eliminate him, for he has sinned by existing outside of them. Said with Zarathustra, he who seeks his way easily loses his way. To separate yourself is a crime. Thus speaks the herdsman. The voice of the herd will still reverberate inside you. When you say, I no longer share with you a conscience, it will be a trial and an agony. Through their disconnection from their herd, the hunter takes on the role of metamorphosizing Ubermensch of Nietzschean construction, seeking their own reality in rejection of the herd. The hunter would be met with approval by Zarathustra, who would say, I love the hunter who does not know how to live, unless it is by going down, for he is going across. In this case, the hunter's progression through the game into higher levels of insight representing going down and the going across. In the process of the hunt, the hunter goes across, arriving at the end of the game, at the final revelation of their search for eldritch truth, and the volta of their metamorphosis into the ubermensch. What becomes of this choice will be explicated on in a moment. The Theology of the Great Ones The incomprehensible deistic beings eventually encountered by the hunter in their search for truth, referred to as Great Ones, give surprisingly few revelations in terms of the hunt. In the canon of Lovecraftian cosmic horror, these eldritch beings are functionally gods, yet have minimal interest in the activities of humans. Most systematized theisms promote a deity as an entity that imbues humans with an essence that precedes their existence, a fate, a samsara, or a kismet. Yet the Great Ones of Bloodborne do not fit this profile of a personal creator being. Rather, they are the apex creatures of a food chain humanity is too insignificant to even register upon. The Great Ones are incomprehensible to the limited human capacity of the hunter, and they have no direct interference in the hunter's existence. Rather, it is the hunter who pursues them and seeks out them according to the hunt. Thus, the hunter must still construct their own meaning of existence with the Great Ones providing no revelation, no essence that precedes the hunter's own actions. Even in a theistic universe, the only existentially authentic option left to the hunter is to live according to Sartre's motto, the famous adage that existence precedes essence. Mm the choice of truth once the hunter reaches the end of the game it becomes apparent that the hunter's dream to which they are bound is sustained by a nameless great one referred to as the moon presence the player has the choice of either allowing another hunter to sever their link to the hunter's dream which will by extension erase their memory of the hunt and the knowledge acquired over it or to hang on to their revelation, 
and become enslaved to the hunter's dream and the moon presence for eternity. This ties to the questions explored by Dostoevsky in The Grand Inquisitor regarding freedom of choice and truth. Just as the Grand Inquisitor revealing that the Catholic Church lies and obfuscates to its congregation so that they do not have to bear the stress of a personal relationship to the infinite, says to Jesus, whom he interrogates, that, I tell thee that man is tortured by no greater anxiety than to find someone quickly to whom he can hand over that gift of freedom with which the ill-fated creature is born. So the hunter has the option to give in to self-deception and lead a happy life free of the dread knowledge they have gained, if only they allow Gehrman, the other hunter, to sever their connection to the dream. Stewarding the knowledge they have gained and defying Gehrman would see the hunter turned into a slave of the moon presence. However, there is a third option. Under certain conditions, the hunter can defy the moon presence and slay it, thus transcending their own humanity and becoming an infant great one. This is the ultimate fulfillment of the Ubermensch metamorphosis, with the hunter reorienting their existence around their own potentiated truths at the highest level. The divergent paths at the end of Bloodborne force the player to explore the question of what is truly preferable or the ontologically good conclusion. Like the rest of the game, however, the only clear answer to this dilemma is the one which the hunter seizes upon in their own mind. There is no obvious, clear right and wrong. It is all defined by the player and the choices they make and the interpretations they make of the choices. These are the most prominent existentialist themes displayed throughout Bloodborne, both on a design level and on a story level, if there is such a thing as a true and defined story to Bloodborne. Throughout the game, the player must again and again make their own choices and their own interpretations. There is no hand-holding, there is no straightforward moral to be had. The game seems to hate morals and revile them, asking the player instead to come to their own conclusions. The only way to make your way through the world is to accept this and live in the autonomy and responsibility of defining your existence as you encounter it in your lived experience. All of this makes Bloodborne an existentialist masterpiece of a game, which I highly recommend playing. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Umbasa.